You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way, presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake. I'm your host, Reza Aslan. And I'm your other host, Rain Wilson. What, what are you doing? Are you, are you playing the bassoon? Yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm doing a little bassooning. Oh my God. Normally I'd charge extra. This would be bonus material, but we don't have a Patreon or anything like that. So oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, letting boy. my weird flag fly. <laughs> you are, you are genuinely a weirdo. Like you are like the real deal weirdo. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, I'm a weirdo. I fully embrace it. I fully embrace it. Yeah. My bassoon and chess playing self and Dungeons and Dragons and fantasy and science fiction reading self fully has embraced my inner weirdo. You haven't? Look, I even have, for those watching on our YouTube channel, I even have a bassoon little keychain. Oh, it's a little Look. little mini bassoon. And that's a mini bassoon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have a, it's like having a picture of your girlfriend on your desk. Listen, it's very easy for you to uh, claim with pride your weirdness when your weirdness has made you a global celebrity. I'm just saying, okay? I, I, I have a feeling that this level of, of pride in your weirdness did not exist when you were, say, 14. Uh, no, no, it didn't. <laughs> it, it didn't. Uh, I, I have talked about this before, but um, I used to observe normal people, and I would try and imitate them. Um, I would observe normal human interactions mm -hmm. uh, at the lunchroom or in, in restaurants and see how... People would shake hands and pat each other on the back and greet each other. Hey, <laughs> hey, Scott, how was your weekend? Uh, mine was pretty good, Mark. How about you? Well, I hung out with Dave. How's Dave doing? Well, he's doing pretty good, actually. Uh, he's uh, taken a few strokes off his golf game. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> and I would observe it almost like a little alien child um, and strive to incorporate, um, you know, normal and regular human interaction into into my uh, regular behavior, but obviously that did not turn out so well. No, yeah, I mean, I look, I was I was weird, not by choice. Obviously, I was an immigrant kid. Uh, you know, could barely speak any English, but I, you know, I remember like, and I've again have mentioned this before in previous podcasts, striving very very hard to not be weird, to be like everybody else, to, to, you know, to hide who I really am, to pretend that I was something, something else, someone else, to try mm -hmm. my hardest to fit in. And, uh, and like, I really, I really look back on those years and I, you know, I, I kind of feel bummed about it. Like, I really feel like, you know, I wish I would have had the self-confidence necessary to just be weird and, you know, just like, fuck it. Like, I'm, I'm a weirdo. This is who I am. Deal with it. Well, the stakes were so much higher for you. You know, for me, it was like, just get the crap beat out of me and get made fun of, right? But for you, it's like, you need to fit in to this new world, America and Oklahoma, or else you'll perish. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There was, I imagine on some primal 
traumatic instinctual level, you were like, God damn it, Aslan, like fit in, get people to like me, be successful. It was my it was my monkey brain. I was like I was the caveman outside of the cave going, what do I need to do to get shelter and fire? (laughs) Fire and shelter. What must I do? Yeah, that's I think that's exactly right. But how I wish, how I wish in those years that I had some kind of like, I don't know, weird icon, some paragon, Uh, some paragon of weirdness, a a a North Star, a North Star, a weird God that I could worship, a North Star of weirdness that I could follow and be like, hey, hey, like that, that works, that it works for that guy. I could be weird. Rain could be weird. A curly haired, giant hatted, (laughs) itinerant. God of weirdness. Uh, wait a wait a second. I Hold think on. we might have someone. Hold on. I think we might have someone. Uh, a personal friend, a dear personal friend, the weirdest guy that we know, the king of polka, Alfred Matthew Weird Al Yankovic, known professionally as Weird Al, had a comedy song air in 1976, and he sold 12 million albums, recorded more than 150 parody songs, and over a thousand live shows, five Grammys, 11 nominations, four gold records, six platinum records. Wow. He's that God that we have been looking for. The God of weird. And uh, he's got a new movie called Weird, the uh, Weird Al Yankovic story. It's it's essentially a semi-autobiographical, semi-fictional, weird, hybrid movie about... Uh, his life and his origin story, and it stars the one and only Rain Wilson. Patton Oswald. Oh. <laughs> More on that later. Yes, so excited to bring on the show uh, one of my mentors, my inspirations. The greatest. One of the greatest of all time. Um, Al, are you there, Al? Al, how are you? I'm good, Ryan. Thanks for asking. And yourself? I'm good. It's been a little while. It's been a few months. How have you been? I've been okay. I've, I've been uh, on the road uh, pretty much since I saw you last time. We started in uh, late April, I guess, and we're continuing on till the end of October. We finished up at Carnegie Hall in New York. Uh, but we've, it's a nonstop tour. I, I'm not going to see my home for a while. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? <laughs> Don't. Well, I was told that uh, some practice is involved. <laughs> Which you've been doing for 40 years. But That's correct. <laughs> most imp- most importantly, um, Al- how's the movie? Oh, it's it's amazing. For those of you who don't know, Rain Wilson was also in this movie, played the great Dr. Demento, who had a, a pretty huge role in your life, Al, right? Absolutely. Yes. And uh, and Rain was fabulous. And uh, Dr. Demento uh, continues to be fabulous. Uh, yeah, he's, he gave me my start way back in the early days and then played my stuff on the radio when literally nobody else would even think about doing so. And uh, yeah, he's a big part of my life and a, and a big part of this movie. Now, this is a serious question now because uh, people who have worked with Rain will uh, often say what a diva he is on set. You know, he doesn't like people to talk to him or look at him in the eyes. Uh, how, how was that with you working working with him on set? You know, people just uh, came to learn after a while that Rain just gets violent if you talk to him. So they gave him a space, yes. they gave him a little bubble, mm-hmm. uh, which and that worked out. You know, everybody just kind of kept to their own. So, Al, we're going to get into a pretty deep conversation about what is weird, Um, and we're going to wax philosophical and and wax a little goofy at the same time. But before we go there, because we never even really got to have this conversation, but now that we're like sitting, because for people who don't know, I was a last-minute replacement for Dr. Demento, um, a certain uh, actor, comedian, who had originated the role. Robert De Niro. Broke their foot, De Niro close, Patton Oswalt, <laughs> um, Patton De Niro. And uh, so we didn't even get to really sit down and have a discussion. But now that we have you here, like, it's a little after the fact. I know you don't normally talk to an actor about the real life character that they've already portrayed months ago. <laughs> but how? tell us about Dr. Demento. How did you meet him what was he like? How did he become kind of your your mentor and supporter in those early days? 
Well, Dr. Demento was sort of the dessert at the end of the week uh, on KMET Los Angeles. That was the big rock station in L.A. And it was just like straight ahead, album-oriented rock. But every Sunday night for four hours, it was the Dr. Demento show. And that was four hours of mad music and crazed comedy. It was novelty and comedy, just the wildest, weirdest stuff you'd ever hear on the radio. And I lived for that. I mean, it was like a religious experience for me to hear the Dr. Demento show. And every once in a while, I would call up the request line, and he would actually pick up the phone. And I got to talk to Dr. Demento. I thought, wow, this is amazing. And uh, it was a few years later that I started getting invited to come down to a show because I would send him unsolicited tapes in the mail, which he'd play on the radio, and again, blowing my mind. Uh, and then he would have me come down and answer phones at the radio station, and we got to be friends, and, and we were friends to this day. So you were literally answering phones for Dr. Demento. That's incredible. And what were people, were people requesting, like, I want to hear uh, uh, Monty Python song from Life of Brian, and you'd you'd pass it on to, to the good doctor. No, say, I'm how, sure you want to hear work? the new Weird Al song. I'm sure you want to hear the new Weird Al song, right? And check that one out. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I, <laughs> no, there, there are actually several people. He'd have several people like, uh, he'd have a whole uh, a cast. It was like a party every week. He'd have me and Musical Mike and uh, Sulu and Damascus and Beefalo Bill and all these crazy, crazy characters. And we would just have fun and hang out and answer phones and make noises and blow on noisemakers during the show. You know, it must have been the weirdest thing to like be on the set of a movie about your own life. Uh, is this is this something that you wanted to do for a while? Did you want to tell this story for a while? And, and what was it like actually uh, watching it unfold before your eyes? Well, um, it's, it's something that we've been pitching for a little while. When we did the original Funny or Die video, that was back in 2010. Right. And uh, the, the movie is very much a, you know, a movie version of that Funny or Die trailer. Uh, and back then I thought, you know, this is really, really funny and the fans loved it, but I thought, you know, this is a three and a half minute bit. Uh, it is exactly what it's supposed to be. People are like, oh, you should do a movie. Like, no, it's, it's a trailer. It's, it's, it works fine as is. But then a couple of years ago, all these movies started coming out like, uh, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man and, and these biopics that were taking some pretty strong liberties with the facts and, and using a lot of artistic license. And I thought, well, maybe we can do a movie where we just kind of <laughs> throw a, a verisimilitude to the wind and and uh, basically just have a lot of fun with it. So by the end of the second act, I'm like battling a drug cartel, you know, that kind of thing. So so real life. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the thing I loved about uh, the script, and I haven't seen the the finished product, Al, but I thought you guys did such a masterful job of capturing a really difficult tone where the movie takes itself just seriously enough that you can't, it's not an airplane material, you know, it's not a, no. it's not a send up, but it's, it's, it's impossibly absurd at the same time, but it takes itself deathly seriously. How did you guys find that, that tone? I guess, I guess that was in the original Funny or Die uh, comedy sketch, but it's really hard to do what you guys did yeah. for a full 90 minutes. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, the tone is very uh, difficult, and I give all credit to Eric Appel, the director, for that. Uh, it, it's amazing. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head because it is, it is a comedy, uh, and it is very funny, but the tone is very serious. And that's, that's a hard line to, 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 to tread on because, you know, th there are some very serious, dramatic moments in the film. There, there are you know, po points in the movie where people might get a little teary-eyed. I mean, there's there's some real, you know, real acting moments, and at the same time, there's some ridiculous moments. But it never, there's, we never, we're never winking. We're never like poking people in the right. ribs, like, "Hey, you get it, you get it." It's all done in a very serious. We wanted to hit all the tr uh, traditional uh, biopic uh, uh, tropes uh, and 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 kind of send those up. But at the same time, it's so. I mean, there's there's some real information in there, and there's a, a lot of places where we we tweak it a bit for comedic effect. But it's all done with a very straight face. So you never did date Madonna, who was a world uh, famous gun runner and uh, drug czar. Well, for for legal purposes, no. I have to say that, uh, <laughs> that that's never been the case. I, I met her. I met her once briefly. I think in 1985. Uh, at at a uh, some kind of ceremony where she's being presented with an award, and we talked for 30, 45 seconds, maybe. So that's the extent of my actual 
uh, interaction with her. And uh, she may or may not be contacting me after this movie comes. I will find out. Yes. I, uh, her lawyers might be very, very interested in the content <laughs> of this movie. So we'll see what happens. Fingers crossed. 30 to 35 seconds. That's dating in my book. Yeah. We had a relationship. You know, Rain, some people say that coffee is a lot like pizza, where like even a not great cup of coffee is still a cup of coffee. It's still pretty good. (laughs) No, that's not true. There's good coffee and there's bad coffee. And life is way too short to drink bad coffee. I'm I'm one of these people. uh, Yeah, I drink a lot of coffee. And I, I can't really tell you what it is that makes a good cup of coffee taste so good. But what I do know is that whenever I get my coffee from Trade Coffee, it is always fantastic. What they do is they partner with independent roasters all over the nation to freshly roast and send the, the best coffees in the country direct to your home on your preferred schedule. And listen, your, your coffee experience can be as simple or sophisticated as you want. They taste test hundreds of coffees from around the United States every month to curate over 450 exceptional coffees that make the cut. Or if you want something curated just for you, all you got to do is just take a minute, take the coffee questionnaire. It's an online survey. It's super simple. And you'll be expertly matched with your perfect coffee and a fresh bag of beans will be on its way flying to you. The coffee I get from Trade is so good. They even have decaf coffees, by the way, and some delicious ones, and I can't believe I'm actually saying that. (laughs) So trade is the easiest way to get your very best tasting coffee delivered fresh when you need it. So if you want to support small businesses and brew the best cup of coffee you've ever made at home, it's time to try Trade Coffee. And right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your first order, plus free shipping. All you got to do is go to Drink trade.com slash milkshake. That's drinktrade.com slash milkshake for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the country. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It always drives me kind of a little bit crazy when you're described as like a parody, you know, songwriter or performer or whatever, because Jesus Christ, you have five Grammy Awards, you have four gold records, you have six platinum records, you're a New York Times bestselling author. I mean, you're like a global superstar. And in fact, this is the thing, Rain and I were talking about this earlier, about like when we first started like listening to Weird Al songs. And it occurred to us that we were about the age that my sons are now, and my sons absolutely worship you. In fact, would it be all right if I, they would kill me if I didn't invite them on to say oh, hi? Oh, please, would it be all right if I, absolutely, can I just call them of course, in? of course. All right, here we go. Of all course. Right. Hey, boys. Fasten your seatbelt, Al, because you're on the bus, literally, fasten your literal seatbelt. I, I have a lot of, I have a lot of children. Here comes a bunch of Aslans. Hey, all right. how you doing? This is Asa. This is Jasper. Hey, how you doing? Good. Hello. Uh, you know, the one thing I'll tell you about Jasper is that he has really taken uh, some real uh, inspiration from you. And now he writes his own parody songs. Yep. It's just that they're all about Minecraft. <laughs> There's a market for that. I don't, you know. You find the niche? Possibly. <laughs> Jasper, can you sing one of your parody Minecraft songs? <laughs> He's not ready for to perform just yet. But uh, anyway, these guys, these guys were just dying to meet you. And do you, anything you want to ask? Anything you uh, any questions for Weird Al? 
Starstruck, starstruck. It's okay. It happens to, oh, to well. the best of us. So uh, all of that is to say, you know, it, you're talking about generations of kids and adults, of course, you know, who've been listening to you, who, who've grown up with you, who's, whose kids are now listening to you. You know, I, I, it's, it, it's funny to say this, but like, I'm not sure if there is a rival <laughs> to Weird Al Yankovic. Like, is there, you know what I'm talking about? Like, people who have achieved a certain level of success or stardom or fame, regardless of in what industry you're talking about, you can sort of name two or three people who are essentially, you know, they're rivals that, that you know, are that you kind of say in the same breath. I, honestly, Rain, name someone, name anyone else in Weird Al's uh, category. Okay, I have a funny story about this. <laughs> so my friend uh, Aaron Lee, who's a comedy writer, knew these two other comedy writers, and they, I don't even know if you remember this happening, Al, they... They wanted to pitch a TV show that Al would star in a reality show. And it was like, find the next great song parody. <laughs> and they met with Al. This is a true story. This was like early 2000s. And they're like, Al, we want to do a show where we find young song parody people. And you're like the godfather of song parody. And then you put the mantle on whoever the new song parody person is. And Al's response was like, no, are you kidding? <laughs> I, I, this is what I do. I do song parodies. I'm going to do it for another 30 or 40 years. I don't want someone new. I don't want to bring on someone new. This is this is my gig. This is this is who I am. Literally about six different production companies pitched me that exact same idea. <laughs> and I'll, I'll say like, why do I want to find the next Weird Al? I'm still Weird Al. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still selling albums. I mean, your last album yeah. was a went number was number one. I mean, you're still yeah. you're still relevant. We wanted to get into the essence of weird. So weird is something Reza and I have talked a great deal about. I know for me, in the in the early '80s when I was coming of age, there was no worse word to be called than weird. Like yeah. if, a, if a, especially if a girl called you weird, Oof. oh, it's was the it. word. Like, oh, you're, oh, you're weird. It was just like, it was the kiss of death to be called weird. And I was terrified of that, of being thought of as weird. And yet I fully embraced weird. And I was, as many of our listeners know, at the same time I was on the chess team the marching band where I wore a kilt and played the xylophone. Wow. I played the bassoon. <laughs> I was on Model United Nations and, um, and the Pottery Club. And these were all at the same time. So there was none stranger at Shorecrest High School in Seattle. And I, it, it, I was mortified but it was it was just who I was. I couldn't I couldn't separate myself from my identity as weird. But Al, what what was what was your story of weird? How did you how did you come to embrace this this moniker that I am sure began as a label of great shame and humiliation, and then you you spun it into gold and platinum? Yeah. yeah my <laughs> My, my upbringing was very close to yours. I never played the bassoon uh, or, you know, went to the United Nations. But other than that, you know, I, I was a prototypical nerd. You know, I was uh, always eating by myself or with one or two other similar nerds at the lunch table at school. And, uh, you know, you have to understand back then, being a nerd was not something you aspired to. I mean, nowadays, like you'll have like hot women saying, oh, I love nerds. I've always been a nerd myself. Yeah. And that was not the case <laughs> in the last millennium. No, it was not. Uh, <laughs> But but hold on a second, because let me stop you right there, because uh, Reza, we've talked about this before. It, that's ridiculous. You have like Charlize Theron and and Jessica Alba and like these incredible, you know, all of these top movie stars. And they're like, I was a nerd in high school. Oh, I was like up. the nerd. It's like bullshit. You did not. <laughs> Give me a break. A, you were not yeah, a nerd. And. 
And B, you didn't talk to nerds. Give me, come on, Jennifer Aniston. Really, you hung out with them? No, you did not. <laughs> there was definitely Sorry. a tipping point. I don't know, like like 15 years ago or so, I think mm-hmm. there was a tipping point where, where nerds became kind of cool. Like certainly when we were growing up, it was not the case. But I, I don't know exactly what was in the water or the air, but all of a sudden people were like, oh, yeah. Nerds are okay. They make all the shiny toys. They're all right. Uh, and then all of a sudden, people they'll look like Napoleon Dynamite or, or hipsters, and they're cool. <laughs> and you aspire to to look like I looked in high school for some reason. I was just gonna say you never played the bassoon, but you were in the Volcano Worshippers Club in high school, which <laughs> kind of worse, maybe sort of worse. Well, you know that was uh, <laughs> that was strictly a, a, a gag. There, we never had a single meeting. I started the club just so I could get an extra picture of myself in the yearbook. That was the whole deal. <laughs> so we took a picture and called ourselves the Volcano Worshippers, and that was all that there ever was of that. <laughs> I, can't, I don't understand why anyone would find you weird. It doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> <laughs> now I can't run for president, though, because they'll, they'll look at my high school yearbook. You're the Volcano Worshippers? I don't know. <laughs> that's right. Yes, that's the only reason you can't run for president. That's the only reason. So— you know, it's kind of common knowledge. People who are familiar with you know that you got the the nickname Weird Al in, I guess it was a college dormitory. Yeah, um, yeah. You were younger than everybody else there, a bit of a of an outcast. I mean, you were, you know, a semi-professional, um, you know, accordion player. That that tends to <laughs> that tends to get noticed. But what I what I'm curious about is, you know, you I mean, clearly it was meant as an insult, and uh, and. I, I would imagine you understood it as an insult. What do you think it meant? Like, what do you think people were saying when they called you weird? Like, what were they reacting to? What were they, what were they saying about you? Well, just that I was outside the norm. I was different. I was unusual. I was making them uh, uncomfortable with my behavior, apparently. Um, and when I decided to call myself Weird Al, uh, you know, I just took it on. You know, in retrospect, it was, I guess it was a form of empowerment, but I didn't really know like the ramifications that would happen like decades after the fact. Like, uh, I sometimes I wonder, like, did I make the right decision, like branding myself as weird out because now I'm like weird out my whole life. But I've heard so many from so many people that felt, you know, uh, like they were diminished uh, in the eyes of others because they were different or unusual or weird that, you know, here's a guy that was like feeling okay about being weird he was weird al and for those people uh it it made them feel better about themselves that made them feel like it was maybe okay that they were a little bit different Uh, actually i have a story about that my other son who unfortunately you didn't get to see because he's upstairs i have a very clear memory this is maybe about a year ago or so that uh he came home from school and he said uh you know, I asked him how school was or whatever, and he said, you know, the, the, the mean girls, there's a group of mean girls, of course, even in elementary school, there's always a group of yeah. mean girls. The mean girls called me weird, and I said, oh, man, I'm, you know, immediately I'm, I'm, I'm back to my childhood. <laughs> and I said, right. I said, oh, man, uh, buddy, I'm, I'm sorry about that. You know, that's, the, the girls are mean, and it, it's okay. And he's like, no. I actually said to them, that's right, I am weird, and I love being weird. It's like, I am that's weird, awesome. and that's cool. that's what I am. I was like, wow, <laughs> like, that is, I'm sorry, but when I was 11, 10, 11 years old, if a girl called me weird, that was it for me. That was it, oh, man. And I really do think that a huge part of it has to do, you know, with what you were saying, that the, the kind of using this derogatory term as a, as a, as a, uh, you know, a form of empowerment, like taking it on and saying, damn right, I'm weird. That's what it's cool yeah. to be weird. And it's something that he's carried with him. That's so great to hear. Wow. And I think Al, that's why you're a hero to so many as you paved the way for so much oddness. I mean, you had talked about that tide that turned about 16 or 20 years ago. I think it was Beck. I think it was Beck mm. combined with Rivers Cuomo from Weezer um, that all of a sudden define, oh my God, there are rock stars who are nerds. Um, yeah. And I want to say too, for the record, I know Al, a long time ago, you reached out to me to be in the video of White and Nerdy. I could have been in the video for White and God, Nerdy. Favorite of your songs. <laughs> but I, I, 
I was busy or I was shooting or I was somewhere and I didn't, yeah. I couldn't do it. And that's one of the great regrets I have in my life. But oh. changing gears a little bit. So the, the word weird, we did a little research on it. It used to mean destiny. It used to mean controlling destiny. It have to, had to do with the fates. Yeah. And that all of a sudden Shakespeare used a uh, weird in Macbeth. Can you say Macbeth on a podcast? <laughs> um, I think you can. I think it's all right. And, uh, all of a sudden, and weird became, yes, fates and destiny. The witches were the kind of the fates, you know, controlling Macbeth's fate. But they were also odd. And and they were just, quite frankly, weird. So the word actually became what it means today, which is odd or offbeat or what have you. But fucking Shakespeare, right? Fucking Shakespeare ruins everything. To you, what is your definition, Al, of uh, of weird? Well, I, I looked. I looked it up uh, before this podcast on uh, on uh, Merriam-Webster, and the second definition is of relating to or caused by witchcraft, and that's the definition I relate <laughs> the most with because uh, most of my songs are in fact made by witchcraft. So I, I think they're spot on. But there is something really interesting about this because, like, I guess weird is one of those words where you have to believe that there is such a thing as normal in order to believe that there's such a thing as weird, right? Like we all have to agree what is normal for someone to be weird. But like, is there even such a thing as normal, Al? Like, is that a thing? Well, it's societal. It's it's whatever people decide normal is. Like what's normal to somebody will be weird to somebody else. Uh, like if you were to drive a, a horse and buggy down Fifth Avenue, uh, uh, <laughs> Well, that's not a great example because New Yorkers don't really think anything's weird. They probably wouldn't bat an eye. But I mean, that would be unusual for them, but probably not so much for Ezekiel back on the Amish farm, you know. <laughs> yeah. So um, believe it or not, in preparation for this conversation, Al, um, we had an, an epic research doc prepared about weirdness and psychological studies having to do with weirdness. And we found out some really interesting Stuff. There was, for instance, a study that was done by Sharon Kim at Johns Hopkins University Business School, where she was wondering if social pariahs are actually more creative. So she created teams of people, and some people were just rejected randomly from the teams, and they were given tasks. So there were the people who fit in, and then there were the rejects. And the tasks were to be creative, to do a bunch of exercises, et cetera, and, um, and to also to draw an alien from a planet very unlike our, our own. Um, and they found in this study that the rejects were, were better at all the exercises and for even, the, especially the alien task, the, the people who fit in in the experiment drew aliens that were kind of like cliched Martians and, mm -hmm. and whatnot. But the rejected participants drew these really imaginative, beautifully designed aliens that looked radically different from humans. All these appendages sticking out of their body, et cetera, onwards. So they have found that being a social pariah, being a reject, being an outcast, actually leads to far greater creativity. I would agree 100%. I think there's a direct correlation between weirdness and creativity because weirdness by almost by definition is thinking outside the box. I mean, Apple had that whole uh, marketing campaign a number of years ago, Think Different, which was, you know, a, along very similar lines, like all the great world leaders, and all the great inventors are people who think differently. And I, I think the, the campaign should have been just be a big freaking weirdo. Because that's the same thing, essentially. <laughs> like, you know, let your weird freak flag fly. Like, you know, that's where the creativity comes from. It's not from, like, going along with the norm. It's from, you know, beating, beating your own drum. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. 
Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Yeah, and it's it's actually really, it makes so much sense too because of this notion that the the, the people who were in a group had to constantly, you know, like, talk about ideas, talk about like what they, how they would answer the question. What, what is our alien going to look like? And it just kind of reduces everything to that sort of base norm. But if you have no one, if you have no one telling you that's stupid, that's weird, don't do that. If you have no box, right, to be trapped right. inside of, then it's very easy to think outside of it. And it's not, by the way, just creativity. The same is true for innovation and inventiveness. And then here's where it gets really weird. So it turns out that, you know, weirdos, by which we just mean <laughs> the social outcasts. <laughs> it's like, kind of a, maybe we should stop using that phrase, but you know what I'm saying. Um, I can say it because I am one. Not only, not only do they have like these creative strengths and these innovative strengths because they can think, you know, outside of the box and all that stuff. They're not like, you know, limited by societal ideas of what is right and et cetera. But they can also develop these ways to calm their social anxiety in a way that people who actually aren't, you know, used to being in crowds cannot, which which seems counterintuitive, right? Like if if you're, you know, an outcast, if you're a, a weirdo, usually that has a lot to do with social anxiety. But it turns out that the very act of being alone, you know, a lot, of being on the outside a lot creates far greater comfort with yourself than the act of constantly having to perform for a group, constantly having to be, you know, like everyone else. So in this weird way, it's like weirdness becomes this crazy superpower that, you know, we we are only now starting to understand. It's, it's, it's interesting that way because um, the, the, the people that uh, have that kind of mindset uh, tend to develop a lot of self-confidence in a weird kind of way. I, right. I always think about a guy that was in my in my uh, college, in my math class freshman year, who would come to class, sit in the front row, and bring a box of like Captain Crunch cereal in a bowl and eat breakfast during class. <laughs> there was no rule saying he couldn't. Sometimes he'd show up barefoot to class. And people were <laughs> like, oh, the weird guy, the weird guy. He didn't care. He was living his life. He wasn't hurting anybody. You know, he was just doing his own thing. Right. And that's what I think is is surprising, right? Because I guess when you really break it down, it does make sense. Like if you don't give a shit what anyone thinks about you and your Captain Crunch, then <laughs> in a strange way, far from developing what we think weirdos develop, like social anxiety and, you know, awkwardness. In reality, like you're supremely confident. If you're walking around with an accordion, if you're wearing a kilt and playing the xylophone in front of people, then you're actually fairly confident in who you are. Yeah. I, I think sometimes, you know, I, I can't speak from experience, but I think sometimes people that, that uh, indulge in alcohol and controlled substances, I think they're looking for an excuse to be weird. I think they secretly, they want to be weirder than they are in normal life, but they don't have an excuse for that kind of behavior. So they, you know, <laughs> go that direction. I, I thought you were going to end your story about the Captain Crunch guy by saying, um, and the name of that student, <laughs> Jeff Bezos. <laughs> you know, I thought, <laughs> I was waiting for like the caption, but I, I know, I know for that. me, Al, uh, you know, I think I'm a pretty funny guy and can play some pretty funny characters, but I don't think that I'm any kind of like comedic genius or anything like that. I, 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 and I, you know, far, far from it. Um, I'm just a comic character actor and I know how to play weird characters. And, um, but I do think that because I was such an outcast in school that it, it comedy comes from being weird. I think humor is generated from that pressure cooker of, of, of not, of not fitting in. You've got to find other ways 
to relate to people because I yeah. I never was easygoing. I just was never like the easy, you know, the, the popular, I would watch the popular kids. I remember studying them and they were just, they were so easygoing. They'd be like, hey bro, how's it going? Hey, good, how was your weekend? Hey, excellent. Are you gonna have the tuna salad? Oh, I don't know. Um, hey, what's Molly up to? I don't know. She's she, she seems down in the dump. Like like, the, I would watch their conversation. I'm like, wow, the, how how do they relate to each other with just <laughs> such ease and effortlessness? And for me, just a conversation was just so awkward and difficult. But that 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 energy that went inside me and then and then it came out sideways and i had to learn to to fit in by being the class clown making people laugh quoting monty python sketches um you name it and i think that that particular petri dish of being ostracized gave me a career yeah you know, I, I hear a lot of comedians say that, that a lot of comedy comes from from pain or suffering or some traumatic experience. That certainly was my experience. I mean, I had a fairly normal and happy childhood, but I obviously did have that outsider status thing going on. I never felt like I belonged. I was always, in fact, in fact, when I started my career, uh, my whole thing was I was this this weird kid from L.A. that was like poking fun at the elite people, all these rock stars inside this hermetically sealed bubble of pop pop fame. And uh, it was, I actually enjoyed that status. It became a little, the, the lines got a little blurry after a few years when I was like winning Grammys and showing up at the same award shows as these people I was making fun of. And all of a sudden I was sort of like in the bubble with them and it became like a little bit of a different dynamic. But, but, but starting out, certainly having that outsider status was, was critical to developing this kind of comedic persona. Here you are now decades into this incredibly successful career. Um, and we also talked about the fact that weirdness nowadays apparently is cool. Like that's a thing now where like nerds get get the, the girls and uh, weird people, you know, get to be uh, popular at school and stuff. And so I just wonder if like not just for in your particular case, but just in general in society, has the popularity of weirdness kind of changed the power and efficacy of weirdness. We just talked about how weirdness is this crazy superpower, this unexpected superpower. But if like weirdness is a positive now, or if it's popular now, does it is it no longer weird? I guess is what I'm saying. I, you know, I think um, I don't think people are getting weirder. I think yeah, as as a species, we've always had about the same percentage of weirdness sprinkled among us. Uh, but I, I think we have more access to show off our weirdness. That's the thing. Because uh, we have the internet. We have social media. Uh, back when I was starting out, the only place where you, I could show off my weirdness was the Dr. Demano show. That was basically it. That was the only outlet. Uh, and now anybody with a camcorder or a laptop uh, can get their stuff out there. And we see a lot more of it. We see how weird we really are. And it's, uh, it's exciting and scary and all the emotions, but, uh, but we're starting to really see what we look like and sound like and feel like. Amazing. Well, Al, listen, you've been a hero of mine since I was 16 and heard you uh, play Another One Rides the Bus on the Dr. Demento radio show in Chicago one Sunday evening. And uh, the fact that I got to be in your movie playing Dr. Demento is just Crazy. again a bucket list checklist item. Uh, this movie is uh, going to be fantastic. People are salivating to to watch it. Thank you for having me be a part of Weird, the Al Yankovic story, and and for and for coming on the show for for being a pioneer to allow all of us to let our freak flags fly. Um, you truly are a living God. And thank you. Wow. Thank that you. went, that went somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rain, uh, you're the best. You were a phenomenal in the movie. I know you haven't, as of right now, you have not seen it yet. You were phenomenal. Hilarious. I cannot wait for you to see it. Thank you for the kudos. I love you dearly. Um, I will, uh, see you in real life someday. One of these days. Good, good luck on your tour. I also also want a, a big shout out to Patton Oswald. Thank you for breaking your foot and, uh, and uh, <laughs> enabling the the understudy to step in to the shoes of <laughs> Doctor Demento. <laughs> good luck with the rest of the tour, Al. Thanks so much for coming on the show. 
Thank you. You know, Rain, hearing you tell that story to Al about, um, you know, being Patton Oswalt's uh, stand-in reminds me that the original idea for this podcast was actually me and Patton Oswalt. Like I, you know, Patton got in touch with me. He was <gasps> like, hey, maybe we should do like a little a podcast together. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Um, and then I think- Patton he- Oswalt is into life's biggest philosophical, spiritual and psychological questions of humanity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no idea. But anyway, long story short, he couldn't make it. And then uh, and then you stepped in. So I really feel like that's a, that's kind of a pattern. Wow. How about that? You know, it's it's amazing, Reza, in this conversation, I had never thought of it before, but um, you mentioned it actually um, in our preparation for the episode and, and during the course of it that, you know, is weirdness a superpower? And I think that's really brilliant because I think about me and my friends, I think about the artists and the misfits, I think about the rock stars that, that I love, mm-hmm. the kind of the music that I like, the, the innovators that I look up to. There's a certain element of misfit in them, yeah, um, which gives them uh, actual powers to transform their their oddity, their pain into beauty, into entertainment. I think you really hit on something. I I feel like there's this could be like a book deal. I, I it's true. I'd never really like thought about it until this conversation. But like, you know, when you're when you're popular or when you're part of the crowd, and everybody who's listening to this knows exactly what I'm talking about. I don't f- think that's our audience. You find yourself, <laughs> that's true. You find yourself constantly changing in order to meet the crowd where it's at. Do you know what I mean? Like if the crowd's like, hey, we all love you know, football, then you're like, yeah, football. And you start to like football or if the crowd, wait a minute, you and I both really like, I know football. we love football. That was bad. That is, but like terrible, if, if the crowd, or if the crowd is like, that guy sucks, you know, you start to kind of go along with the sort of, okay, well that guy sucks. Or it's this weird group think that happens when you try to conform and belong. And it's involuntary. You don't really think about it. I mean, I'm basically just describing my entire childhood as trying to change who I am in order to belong. But when you are told from the beginning you don't belong, <laughs> you have you have nothing to conform to, go to your corner, you're, you're not like us, you're an outcast, it creates this sense of like, well, you don't need to perform anymore. Right, you can really just be who you are and think what you think, uh, and feel what you feel. And when you think about it now, like of course it makes so much sense. Of course that those weirdos tend to become the innovators and the inventors and the creators and the performers, um, the people who think outside of the box because they're not trapped in the box. You know, Uh, it's really it's kind of an inspiring thought, right? I mean, it's really, I, I wish I wish someone would have told me that when I was 12. Yeah. I also think that um, when you're popular and well-liked uh, and, you know, God, I, I wish I, I had that test of being popular and well-liked, but I don't think you have to try as hard to fit in. It's easier to settle, I think. You yeah. know, if if you don't have to actually be funny to get your jokes laughed at, if you don't have to Try something different and unique to be uh, to be liked or appreciated. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. just kind of naturally liked and appreciated for who you are. In other words, <laughs> well balanced. Um, so, does this mean that in the future, Reza? Let's say there's some utopian future where there's no bullying and people are just loving to one another and accepting of everyone's differences and diversities. Um, does that mean that creativity will be lost? the innovators will be will be lost put another way if weirdness becomes the new normal then is there any weirdness left Whoa, i don't know now whoa that's a question for our milkshakers to ponder 
upon. Uh, let us know what you think. You can find us on social media at Reza Aslan and at Rain Wilson and on Twitter at Metamilk Podcast and on Instagram at Metaphysical Milkshake. Let us know what you think about the future of weirdness. Uh, and uh, remember to follow, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And you can also subscribe to the Metaphysical Milkshake YouTube channel. See our full episodes every week. You could actually get to see Weird Al in that awesome hat in a tour bus uh, talking to fellow to weirdos. Fellow weirdos, <laughs> indeed. And I, we'd love to hear from you too. Like, what, what superpower did your weirdness give you? You can write us as well at metaphysical at castmedia.com. That's cast with a K. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for watching slash listening. Everyone, we'll see you next week. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It is produced by Safa Samazadeh Yazd, Paris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. Original music by Jeff Tang. What is semi-professional accordion player? How does that work? I actually work? don't know. I... It's somebody who, who's supposed to get money but doesn't. Like you do a gig and they don't pay you. That's semi-professional. <laughs> That's right. There you go. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.